It is Friday, April 24th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, of course, from a distance. And Jared, we are one round into the 2020 NFL Draft. And the first round of this all-online draft seemed to go pretty smoothly. No one blowing up the chat, asking Roger Goodell to run the picks back, as I'm sure that we're used to in fantasy drafts. Yeah, I actually liked it. You know, there, there were like less frills. It was more just like the picks and the analysis. I did miss watching with you, though, and, you know, drinking beer with you and all that stuff that usually goes along with the, with the draft. I agree. It's, it was less fun being in the setting where I was watching it, but the broadcast itself was still enjoyable without the suits and the bro hugs and all the fake stuff around it. I agree. It's time now though to start breaking down the fantasy impact. You know, of course we were posting shark bites throughout round one on draftsharks.com and we'll continue to do so for all the fantasy relevant selections through the rest of the draft offense and defense. We'll post our rookie rankings as soon as possible. Once the whole draft is complete, those will just be for DS insiders, but they will be available soon. For now though, let's jump right into the round one recap. And I want to start at the end of it. The final pick of the round because it really surprised me. It was the Chiefs taking Clyde Edwards-Elair at number 32. It was the first running back off the board. According to NFL Network's James Palmer, Andy Reid said after watching Edwards-Elair on tape that he was better than Brian Westbrook, and the selection certainly indicates that he believes that because in 21 years of Andy Reid teams, no Andy Reid team had taken a running back before round two, and the only one that an Andy Reid team has taken in round two was LaShawn McCoy back in 2009. Otherwise, there were four others taken in round three, and then every other running back was drafted beyond that. So even more so than Edwards Elair being the first running back taken, that surprised me about this pick. I mean, you just could not have asked for a better outcome for Edwards Elair in this draft. I mean, like you said, first running back off the board, he goes in the first round, definitely a surprise. And he goes to the Chiefs. I mean, which I think short and long term with Patrick Mahomes is the best offense in the NFL right now. And Andy Reid has consistently produced strong fantasy numbers from his lead running back. You know, I, th- I think that past couple of years, you know, since since Kareem Hunt has sort of been out of the picture, that the Chiefs have sort of struggled to find their guy at running back. But I think Everett Zolaire is that guy now when you take him in the first round. So Andy Reid in, in those 21 seasons as a head coach, he's produced 16 top 16 PPR running backs. He's produced 10 top 10 PPR running backs. So I think Everett Zolaire right out of the gate has that type of upside. Yeah, I mean, we saw them give big workloads to Kareem Hunt as a third-round rookie not that long ago, and since then they haven't been spending much on running backs. So I agree, he's immediately their lead back, pushes Damian Williams, DeAndre Washington aside. And with running back for Dynasty, we don't really need to think long-term. So the short-term is the long-term here. I think that Clyde edwards Elair is almost definitely going to land in that top spot in the rookie rankings among running backs. Yeah, that's my leaner now. I mean, I, I think... Right now, he's my first overall pick in Dynasty Rookie Drafts ahead of all the wide receivers as well. I mean, we'll we'll see where Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift land. I mean, just off the top of my head, like if Taylor lands in Baltimore, that'd be tough for me. But um, outside of that, I think Everett Delaire is going to be my number one overall rookie for Dynasty Drafts. Yeah, and even there for me, it would be Edward Delaire because Jonathan Taylor would have some competition for touches right away. And like I said... We're thinking short-term more than the long-term, and for, for scoring upside, can't beat Kansas City. 
No, you can't. I mean, there were people that thought Ever Delaire was like a system running back at LSU, you know, playing in this awesome LSU offense. Even if you think that, like he, he's now in, you know, one of, if not the best systems for a running back. So I don't, I don't see how, how you don't love Ever Delaire in this spot. Yeah, it's impossible to argue against him at this point. So we'll move on from him and move back to the beginning of the round, which of course was quarterback heavy. Started with the pick that we all expected to happen, Joe Burrow, number one overall to Cincinnati. And, you know, it's a good player coming off a historic season and in a better spot than you would normally see in the number one spot because he gets A.J. Green on the franchise tag, gets Tyler Boyd on his second contract, John Ross in a contract year, Joe Mixon as the a, a good pass catching running back. It, it's a nice spot for Joe Burrow to land in for fantasy upside. Yeah, and no surprise here. You know, we we knew Burrow was going to land in Cincinnati. We kind of broke that down on the quarterback preview podcast. So I don't have a whole lot to add. Like you said, the weapons are good. We talked about Burrow's rushing upside, which is going to help in fantasy. The Bengals need to improve their offensive line. Um, they, they are going to get last year's first rounder Jonah Williams back at tackle after he missed his entire rookie season. So that'll help. None. Cincinnati obviously has the first pick tonight, so I'm hoping they go tackle um, with that first pick tonight. I know Ezra Cleveland and Josh Jones are still both available, and they were you know commonly mocked in the first round. So I think either of those picks would be really good news for Burrow. Yeah, I agree with that. It doesn't matter to me whether they get another tight end because, like I said, there are plenty of guys around him. I would not be at all surprised to see Joe Burrow finish among the top 15 fantasy quarterbacks this season. Yep, definitely possible. Um you know, hopefully the, the coronavirus stuff sort of goes away by August. So we can get into training camps. So I do think if, if training camp gets canceled or cut short or, or, or whatever, that's going to hurt these rookies' chances of making a, a year one impact. Yeah, certainly still questions to answer on that front. But if we get back to training camp and get ready for the season, then there's lots of upside right away for Burrow and easily the number one quarterback in rookie rankings. The number two quarterback in last night's first round, Tuo Tangavailoa, to the Dolphins at number five. And similar to what you said with Burrow, we broke him down as a prospect on the preview podcast. He went to the place that, you know, a lot of people expected him to go to. And I think that we should not expect immediate fantasy impact. I think that the Dolphins should expect to not play Tua much this year, if at all, while he's getting over the hip. And I think drafting him adds value to Ryan Fitzpatrick in these early fantasy football drafts. Yeah, maybe. I, I honestly don't know what Miami's plans are for Tua. They haven't said yet. I, I, I'm with you. I think it would be smart to basically just redshirt him this year. I mean, I think Miami's still not a team that's going to be competing for much this season. I think it's more, you know, 2021 and beyond. So, so we'll see. I'm sure we'll hear from Miami what their plans are. I'm sure they're going to come out and say Fitzpatrick's the starter for now and Tua has to earn it and all that stuff. I, I do think long term for Tua, this is this at least has the potential to turn into a really nice spot. Um, you know, I think in Devontae Parker and even Preston Williams, who flashed as a rookie last year, Miami has two, you know, upside wide receivers, at least. I think Mike Kosicki flashed last year. You know, he could still be on the ascent. Uh, Miami used 18th overall pick of the draft last night on a left tackle on Austin Jackson. And then Miami has three more picks tonight in the second and third rounds. And then next year, they have two first round picks and two second round picks. So they have a lot of ammo to really build up this offense around Tua. Yeah, and they seem to have a coaching staff in place now that is able to look long-term. So I do believe that they'll take their time with Tua, who, especially with how this offseason is going to go, it's just not, it doesn't look like a good time for him to be pressed into duty right away. So I, I would assume that they will bring him along 
at the rate that is good for him and them. I agree that the the landing spot has upside. I wouldn't call it a good landing spot right now. Mm-hmm. There are other good young receivers. Preston Williams is coming off an injury, so it's going to be tough to count on him repeating this year what he did last year. Devontae Parker, you know, we'll see whether last year was a flash or a breakout. He got his new contract, so I, you know, I think we assume for now that it was a breakout, and we should assume that. Devontae Parker will continue to be a good player, but we'll see what he can prove there. I, of course, hate Mike Jacecki, but you know, otherwise, it's a decent spot. I agree. Yeah, like you said, I think potential is the word with all this ammunition. You know, could be a strong offense in two years. Now, the next guy off the board in the NFL draft was Justin Herbert, and I think the landing spots for these two guys only solidified me in preferring Herbert as a fantasy pick in dynasty drafts because I think he's a better bet than Tua to start right away, both because he doesn't have the health risk of the hip injury coming into this one, and because he goes to a team that has Tyrod Taylor as the starter as opposed to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who spent nearly all of last season starting for the team that he is on. If Herbert does get into the lineup, there's excellent skill position talent around him. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler. I really like the outlook for Justin Herbert, especially in the short term. I'm with you on Herbert over Tua in the short term, you know, 2020. I think I still prefer Tua in Dynasty long term. I I have to think on it a bit more, but I do agree that Herbert, you know, I would bet on him being under center week one, even if not, you know, by October at the latest. I know Anthony Lynn has talked up Tyrod Taylor and he's a big Tyrod Taylor fan, but if you just look at uh, the 20 quarterbacks picked in the top 10 over the previous 10 drafts, all but three of those guys started at least 11 games as rookies. Uh, seven of the 20 started all 16 games. So I do think Herbert's going to you know, get double-digit starts this season, if not all 16. Longer term, though, if you look at the weapons for the Chargers, I think there's some question marks. Keenan Allen is, is in the final year of his contract. Mike Williams is in the final official year. The Chargers have the fifth-year option on him next offseason. So you figure they probably exercise that. So Mike Williams around for at least two more seasons. Hunter Henry is on the franchise tag, so who knows what's going to happen with him. So I do think, you know, short term, Herbert's weapons are nice. Longer term, I think there's some more questions than, than you know, you might think right now. Yeah, I can see that. We'll, we'll see where the uh, surrounding talent goes, what the Chargers decide to do with all those guys. I feel like the risk is being overplayed on Justin Herbert. Every quarterback drafted early in the NFL draft is risky. I mean, we, we like to point to a couple of sure things like Peyton Manning, uh, Andrew Luck, even Peyton Manning. There were plenty of people who thought that Ryan Leaf was the better QB prospect than Peyton Manning that year. With Andrew Luck, there were people who liked Robert Griffin over him. So is Justin Herbert a lock? Absolutely not. But every quarterback is a question early in the draft. He was the first true freshman to start at Oregon since 1983. And even Chris Miller back in 83 didn't wasn't a sustained starter. He started one game that season. So Herbert was the first true freshman in a long time to start at this school that's produced a bunch of successful college quarterbacks. Marcus Mariota, Kellen Clemens, Joey Harrington, Achilles Smith among them. Herbert finished second in school history in touchdown passes, second in passing yards, both behind only Mariota. I think that his risk level is being overplayed here, and I think he's a a strong bet to open the season as a starter again if we get a decent enough summer and offseason to you know, get him ready to do that kind of thing. And then from a fantasy standpoint, I think there's huge upside on his rushing potential beyond what his college production said. Yeah. And last night, Chargers GM Tom Telesco called Herbert a quote, big, fast, dual threat quarterback. I I love that quote. It makes me think that he realizes Herbert's a plus plus athlete and he's ready to, you know, 
let his team take advantage of that. Exactly. And I mean, I think in addition to what I think is his risk level being overplayed, I feel like the certainty of Tua is being overplayed a little bit. I'm not saying he's not a good player and that he won't be a good NFL player, but we also got one full season of college starting from Tua, you know, more than half of a second one. But I think it's not quite enough to say this guy's definitely going to be an NFL star. Yeah, I mean, there's no such thing as a definite NFL star, especially a quarterback. I still think as far as pure passing prospect, Tua is a tier above Justin Herbert for me. You know, then you got to factor in, of course, I do think Herbert's going to give you more rushing upside and he doesn't have the injury history. I like him. Uh, Then the fourth quarterback in round one was Jordan Love to the Packers. A surprise. The Packers moved up to 26, traded up from 30. I mean, does it help Green Bay right now? Of course not. And nobody would argue that it does. It's a good landing spot for Jordan Love, though, I think, because as we talked about before, I think he, at least as much as any other quarterback in the class, and maybe more so, needed to go somewhere where he didn't need to start right away. And Aaron Rodgers is not only locked in this year, but his contract is basically locked in through 2021 as well. I looked at Rodgers' contract. You know, I think if they try to get rid of him before 2023, they take pretty huge cap hits. You know, Rodgers, 36 years old, so maybe he doesn't end up making it to 2023. But I think Love is looking at at least two seasons sitting on the bench behind Nate Rodgers. So, yeah, I agree it's a pretty good landing spot for him in real life as far as, you know, he doesn't have to get on the field right away. In Dynasty, though, I, I really have very little interest in him when you're going to have to wait, you know, at least three years to get anything out of him. I agree with that as well. He certainly did. It certainly didn't help his spot in my rookie rankings, but I think eventually – uh, it'll be good and be good that nobody pressed him into duty right away. I mean, you know, say what you want about what the Packers should have done. It's kind of hard to, though, criticize the franchise that <laughs> proved so right in drafting Aaron Rodgers and sitting him for three years when they now took, uh, you know, the heir to that guy late in round one. I would have loved to seen Aaron Rodgers reaction when, when the Packers made that pick. <laughs> on to receiver now. We had Henry Ruggs leave the board first at the position, which should not have happened. I'm just going to go ahead and call him Darius Hayward Ruggs from now on. Went number 12 to the Raiders. The speed guy, as the Raiders always take. Uh, what do you? What's your reaction to Henry Ruggs with the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, I think if you've been listening to our podcasts, reading our stuff, I think you know that, you know, I think especially me, I'm, I'm lower than consensus on Henry Ruggs. I'm going to actually say some nice things about him, though. From a fantasy perspective, first of all, he you know the first wide receiver off the board, he goes 12th overall. I think that, plus the fact that the Raiders are pretty weak at wide receiver, gives Ruggs a, a huge opportunity to earn a pretty big target share right out of the gate. I also think his, his fit in this offense and with Derek Carr might be better than most people think. I mean, we know Derek Carr is one of the most conservative quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, his rate of throws 20 plus yards downfield last season was ranked 29th out of 35 quarterbacks. So you might think that's bad for a speed guy like Ruggs. Um, but I think if you've really watched Ruggs and, and sort of, you know, studied his production at Alabama, he wasn't really a downfield guy. He only had four catches, 20 plus yards downfield all last season. He's much better on those shorter intermediate routes, get him the ball, let him do damage after the catch with his speed. He Ruggs averaged 10.5 yards after the catch at Alabama last year. That was a, a top five mark among all draft eligible wide receivers. So I actually think you know, if the Raiders are smart, they use him more in that way. He doesn't need to be 
the, you know, deep downfield guy, which Derek Carr isn't really good at anyways. Mike Mack did say after making this pick last night that he thinks Ruggs can get the quote manufactured touches, the bubble screens, the jet sweep. So it, it seems like the Raiders know what they're getting here. And, you know, if they use him how he should be used, you know, that, that could that could make Ruggs better than I thought he was going to be as a pro. I think it's a good landing spot for the immediate opportunity available. You know, Oakland has no true number one wide receiver. Darren Waller was the only Raider last year who saw more than 71 targets. So there's obviously immediate opportunity available. My one caution would be the absence of a true number one in Oakland, or I'm sorry, in Las Vegas now, does not make Henry Ruggs a true number one. So he can lead the team in targets still without being number one. But let's not make him more than he is just because of the landing spot. And I mean, the landing spot itself, you know, next year they could take another wide receiver in round one. They could trade for a wide receiver. They could sign somebody like Sammy Watkins. It's also an offense that was just 56% pass last year. So that could limit the targets available. I'll be curious to see exactly how much is available for him. And as you're talking about the bubble screens and manufactured touches, it made me think of Tyreek Hill. And obviously, we think of Tyreek Hill pretty much whenever we talk about a speed receiver at this point. And I guess maybe Tyreek Hill is somebody to keep in mind because we wouldn't have guessed when he entered the league that he was going to become a number one wide receiver for a team. But that's what he has turned into in Kansas City. So, you know, I guess as much as we've downplayed rugs to this point, maybe landing in Oakland kind of opens up that possible, you know, ultimate ceiling avenue. Listen, I, I still think Ruggs is an overrated prospect. I think the fact that he went ahead of C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy is absolutely crazy. I'm not, I still would guess I'm going to be lower than consensus on Henry Ruggs, but I think the gap between, you know, me in the field as far as Ruggs goes might have been closed. Um, I, I think some people are going to look at this landing spot again and think it is just a bad fit, but I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if his perceived value changes at this point. You would think that being the first wide receiver off the board should help and going to a spot with immediate opportunity should help. So we'll see. I I think that I agree the gap is closed, but I'm still going to take at least Jerry Judy over him and we'll see uh, about the other guys as we get to him. Let's talk about Jerry Judy now, though, because he was the next wide receiver off the board at 15 and goes to Denver. So that just ensures that we're going to get Henry Ruggs versus Jerry Judy comparisons for years at this point. It might not be an ideal landing spot for Jerry Judy in terms of immediately obvious value because Cortland Sutton's coming off a breakthrough year. But I mean, maybe Jerry Judy is good enough to challenge Cortland Sutton for the top wide receiver spot on this team. Yeah, I definitely think he is. Uh, I mean, for starters, this is where I was hoping Henry Ruggs would end up because then you know, he could just sort of be the the lind lifting secondary option. Cortland Sutton could still just, you know, hog targets, which was what I was hoping for. But now, yeah, you have two, I think, awesome wide receiver prospects. One of them in Cortland Sutton has already proven himself at the NFL level. I think Judy, I mean, if you if you just compare Judy and Sutton as pre-draft prospects, you know, Judy, I think, is clearly better. So I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, by 2021, Jerry Judy is the number one wide receiver in Denver. Shorter term, I, I do think there's room for both these guys. My pre-draft projections for Denver, I had Cortland Sutton with 141 targets. Then I had Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton, who you know were the number two and number three wide receivers in Denver before Judy arrived. I had those guys combining for 147 targets. So I think there's opportunity for Judy to you know reach triple-digit targets this season. Yeah, and there's versatility to him, too. He played outside and in the slot, played a lot in the slot last year for Alabama, but 
I mean, he can move around and play in various roles fitting whatever they have there. I, I think I agree there are plenty of targets available and really immediately. So I, I'm not going to downgrade Jerry Judy for this landing spot, either in the short term or the long term. We'll see about him versus Cortland Sutton as the top target. But really, I mean, we don't even need one of them to emerge clearly ahead of the other to make this a fine spot for both of them. Drew Locke, we don't know about him yet. The jury's still out. He's going to open this season as the starter. But if he's not the answer, he's also they also don't have a whole lot invested in him where I, I don't see any reason why Denver should stick with Drew Locke beyond the point where he proves not to be the answer if that ends up being the case. So I wouldn't worry about that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I think with these weapons in place now, I mean, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, I, I think, you know, there's really no excuses for Drew, Drew Locke this season. So I think, you know, Denver should kind of know if he's their guy by the end of this year. I do think, you know, the Judy addition obviously makes Locke a more intriguing quarterback too. I think he's a guy, especially in best ball leagues, maybe to target as your quarterback two, even quarterback three. I think Locke, Maybe not to the extent of Justin Herbert, but you know he he tested better in the pre-draft process last year as an athlete. I think Locke might have some sneaky rushing upside this uh, this year too. CD Land to the Cowboys at number seventeen. It's definitely not the best spot for him for immediate target upside, but he at least does land in a place where you know the number one receiver being Amari Cooper has not been a high volume target collector as far as top receivers go. Hasn't topped 120 targets since 2016. And even Cooper's first two years in the league when he was 130 plus targets, he was behind Michael Crabtree on his own team in targets then. This was such a surprising landing spot. You know, no one had the Cowboys taking a wide receiver and really I don't think anyone had Lamb even dropping to Dallas. I wonder if Lamb's going to be underrated both for this season and especially long-term, you know, for dynasty with this landing spot. I mean, th- yeah, the target competition is stiff between Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Short term, Randall Cobb got 83 targets last year as Dallas's number three wide receiver. I think Lamb should easily get that many. And, you know, a- as a better player than Cobb c- could even surpass that number. And then, I mean, you just look at the offense he's going to be playing in with Dak Prescott in an offense that ranked second in passing yards, fifth in passing touchdowns, third in yards per pass attempt last season. You know, this was a top five passing offense last year without cd lamb so i think that's sort of a situation where yeah maybe none of these guys between lamb gallup and cooper even reach 120 targets but they could all be super efficient in this offense yeah so let's look at the short term first cowboys have nudged their passing share up now for three straight seasons it got up to 58 percent pass last year now Mike McCarthy arrives and his Green Bay offenses were about 60% pass on average. So it's really not at all hard to see another nudge up, especially in wake in the wake of the CD Lamb pick to about 60% pass for Dallas this season. My initial Cowboys projections and you know before Lamb landed there, mm-hmm. I gave uh, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup each a 22% share of the team targets. They were both in the same range last year. That was 124 targets a piece. I still had 92 targets left over just at wide receiver after that number. And that was without taking any significant amount away from the running backs or the tight ends, the shares that they had last year. And of course, in addition to Randall Cobb being gone, Jason Witten's gone left behind 83 targets. We could get Blake Jarwin up from his 41 last year to a reasonable 85 which is a, a solid number at tight end and perhaps even have more targets available at wide receiver. So I agree there's room for Lamb to be underrated this year. And I think that he's probably going to be underrated 
for dynasty purposes yeah. because people are not going to like this landing spot and, and fail to see that, you know, a year from now, two years from now, Michael Gallup could very well be gone. I'm pretty sure CD Lamb's going to remain a top two wide receiver for me in dynasty. You know, maybe he drops a three at worst. We'll see. We'll sort all that out over the next few days. Blake Jarwin, I think I think his breakout chances are dead. I think you got to jump off the, the Blake Jarwin train after C.D. Lamb no arrives here. We had 83 targets apiece for Randall Cobb and Jason Witten last year with 41 for yeah. Blake Jarwin. There is definitely room for all four of these guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll, need, I'll need to you know rerun my projections with this, but I, I, I just think these three wide receivers are going to hog more targets than you know the three guys combined for last season. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I, again, I think there's room for all three of these guys. I, I do. It, it would make sense for Dallas to pass a bit more this year than they did last year after adding CD Lamb. You know, I, I'm, I'm a huge Michael Gallup fan, but it's definitely within the range of possibilities that CD Lamb out targets Michael Gallup this season. And then, you know, looking to 2021 and beyond, C.D. Lamb could become Dallas's number one wide receiver, even surpassing Amari Cooper. I think it now seems likely that Michael Gallup will not get a second contract in Dallas based on the fact that they just paid Amari Cooper. They just paid Zeke Elliott. They're about to pay Dak Prescott. They just paid Blake Jarwin. They recently paid Jalen Smith on defense. I mean, we just watched them let their top cornerback, Byron Jones, leave in free agency. It's tough to find enough money there for Michael Gallup to stick around. I think this has to ding his dynasty outlook a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, again, love the player and I think no matter where he goes, he'll be a good player, but you know, obviously mm-hmm. being the number two wide receiver with Dak Prescott was a pretty good spot for him. Looking at Amari Cooper's contract, Dallas can get out of that if they want after 2021 pretty easily. I mean, I don't know if they'd be interested or whatever. I, I, I just wonder if, if, you know, if Dallas knew that they could land C.D. Lamb at, at pick 17 last night, would they have even signed Amari Cooper to that massive deal? Yeah, that's fair to wonder. I, I think, you know, we won't know until it happens exactly who's going to stick yeah. in the wide receiver core. I think that it's doubtful that three years from now, I guess, all three of these wide receivers are Cowboys. Yeah, exactly. I think the takeaway is, you know, don't ding C.D. Lamb too much, especially in Dynasty, because, you know, he landed in this crowded wide receiver core. Mm-hmm. Jalen Rager landed in a much less crowded wide receiver core in Philadelphia at pick 21. Doug Peterson says that Rager can play outside or inside. You know, that's what you hear about him. Some call him a slot receiver, but he played in both areas at TCU. Doug Peterson says we're going to see where he best fits us. So it's not that they have a specific plan in mind yet, at least that he has said. Suddenly, though, this is a pretty exciting pass catching group between Rager, uh, Deshaun Jackson, the tight ends, Miles Sanders. Uh, there's a lot to like in Philly now. Yeah, I loved this pick by the Eagles. And I think everyone had Justin Jefferson as the fourth wide receiver off the board. Everyone had the Eagles taking Justin Jefferson. I think going with Rager was such an analytically driven pick. I mean, I, you know, I had Rager ranked one spot ahead of Jefferson pre-draft, and it was because of you know some of the the college production stuff. We know Rager's 2019 was a disappointment, but you know his quarterback play at TCU was truly awful. Only 31 percent of Rager's targets last season were deemed accurate by Pro Football Focus. Before that, you know his production profile was outstanding. He led TCU in receiving yards and touchdowns as an 18-year-old true freshman. Goes for over a thousand yards and nine touchdowns as a sophomore. Counts for 30% of TCU's catches, 39% of the receiving yards, 50% of the receiving scores. So you know, he, he sort of 
he checks the boxes for the breakout age and the big market shares as a sophomore. I call Drager one of the biggest boom bust wide receiver prospects in this class pre-draft. I think landing in Philly, which I thought was the best landing spot for a wide receiver, definitely helps his chances of, of booming, um, you know, with a quarterback in Carson Wentz, with a, a coach I like, a play caller I like in Doug Peterson. So yeah, Rager definitely will be moving up my rankings with this landing spot. Short term, there are targets available, especially with the Alshon Jeffrey injury and with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside not yet working out, so still needing to prove himself. But I mean, even looking beyond that, by 2021, we could be talking about Rager leading Eagles wide receivers and targets. You know, Zach Ertz's contract is going to be coming to an end within a few years. It's a, a high upside spot that also has immediate opportunity available, I think. Yeah, definitely. Again, love Rager long term. I will say... Short term, I don't think Rager is as NFL ready as a guy like Justin Jefferson or even someone like T. Higgins. So I think, you know, I probably would have liked Jefferson a bit more in Philly for 2020 projections rankings. But again, I think longer term, I think Rager has a lot more upside in Philly than Jefferson would have had. I think adding speed to the pass catching core also could help Ortega Whiteside, who probably does better in the shorter range, don't you think? Yes, definitely. It's funny. I think last year, Arcega Whiteside felt like a eventual replacement for Alshon Jeffrey, which I, I still think could definitely be the case. Jalen Rager sort of feels like an eventual replacement for Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, I could certainly see it working out that way. And I mean, there's basically no talk about Arcega Whiteside for fantasy this offseason. Yeah. So I think late in an FFPC best ball draft, you know, that goes 28 rounds. He could be worth taking a shot on very late and maybe look into his price on the trade desk in a dynasty league because it's probably not very high at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, last year was a major disappointment, obviously, but he had such a good prospect profile. And, you know, the, the fact that the Eagles took him in the second round, you know, they obviously loved him. So it's definitely way too early to throw in the towel on him. Yeah, there have been plenty of wide receivers who did not have a great first season, but then did just fine after the. Justin Jefferson did go right after that to the Vikings. It was the pick that they got in the Stephon Diggs trade. So basically they traded Stephon Diggs to the Bills for Justin Jefferson, who is a more limited, lower ceiling wide receiver prospect. Yeah, definitely lower ceiling. I I think they're actually quite different as players, but you know, the Vikings obviously saving a lot of money with Jefferson versus Stephon Diggs. Landing spot wise, I think the good news for Jefferson, obviously he has a clear path to number two wide receiver duties. He's only gonna have to beat out OBC Johnson for that spot. Even if he wins a number two wide receiver job, though, I'm not sure you know what his target upside looks like. You know, Stephon Diggs saw only 94 targets last season in 15 games, and that was with Adam Thielen missing six games. You know, the Vikings were the third run heaviest offense in the NFL last year. They finished just 30th in past attempts. I think they want to remain a run leaning offense. So even as a number two wide receiver, I'm not sure Jefferson has massive, massive target upside in the short term. Longer term, Adam Thielen does turn 30. In August, he signed through 2024, but Minnesota can get out of his deal relatively pain-free starting next offseason. So, that, you know, I think there's a chance within two to three years, Jefferson is the number one wide receiver in many. I feel like Jefferson might be better off with Adam Thielen around or then after Adam Thielen, somebody at a similar level so mm-hmm. that he's not the focal point of opposing coverages. For Beyond that, though, I think that they need to – I think we need to consider – whether Kirk Cousins is really the guy to help Justin Jefferson approach whatever his fantasy ceiling is. And then beyond that, think about how soon Minnesota might be replacing Kirk Cousins. I don't think he's around for a whole lot longer. I guess when you put it all together, it doesn't really change 
my outlook for Jefferson. I would probably yeah. would have liked him better if he landed in Philly as a dynasty prospect because I think the ceiling would be higher. I think short term Minnesota is probably a better landing spot because of opportunity available, even if the target ceiling overall for the passing offense is not as high as it would be elsewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, you know, I think I was a bit lower than consensus on Jefferson in pre-draft, and I think I'll probably remain a bit lower post-draft. Brandon Ayuk was the last wide receiver to go off the board in round one, went to the 49ers at 25. They traded up with the Vikings to get there, and that means they picked Ayuk earlier than they took Debo Samuel last year, earlier than they took Dante Pettis the year before. Both of those guys were early round two selections, so that can only help the outlook, I think, for Ayuk. Did you see Kyle Shanahan said he thinks Brandon Ayuk and Dante Pettis have similar skill sets? <laughs> How would you say that? That's so mean. <laughs> I know. I do think Ayuk is a good real life fit with the 49ers. Um, you know, it's kind of an offense that's centered around shorter passes and getting the ball into playmakers' hands and letting them, you know, do stuff after the catch. And I think that is what Ayuk is best at. He averaged 10.9 yards after the catch last season I think that was either first or second among all draft eligible wide receivers I'd like that about this spot for him you like the fact that you know he I think like Jefferson has a pretty clear path to the number two wide receiver spot um, you know behind Debo Samuel the issue for Ayuk sort of again like Jefferson is this is such a run heavy offense the Niners were 31st in pass rate 29th in pass attempts last year so there's not a ton of targets to go around and of course you still still have George Kittle there so I think you know Ayuk best case scenario for this season is he's the number three option in this passing game yeah I wonder if he stole Dante Pettis's skill set like Space Jam style Uh, (laughs) he's using it instead uh, Greg Cosell said a similar thing about the fit, the offense leaning on in-breaking routes, setting up the player for run after the catch, you know, similar to the outlook for Debo Samuel, where he excels with the ball in his hands. So I, you know, mentioned some questions for Ayuk when we were doing our prospect preview podcast for the wide receivers. It definitely helps him for me to see Kyle Shanahan draft him. Uh, say what you want about Dante Pettis. I think overall, yeah. I believe in Kyle Shanahan having the vision for players and you know picking the right guys. I feel comfy with Ayuk. I think long term, I probably like Ayuk better than Justin Jefferson for Dynasty right now. I think I'm going to have Jefferson ahead still just because I liked him by a pretty decent margin pre-draft. I, I think I like Ayuk's landing spot a, a tad better, but again, not enough to push him ahead. Yeah, it's close, and I can't be sure how I'll settle, but that's just what I was thinking at the moment in talking about it, knee-jerk style. Obviously, as fantasy players, we're most interested in all those skill position guys, but we also saw six offensive tackles go in the first round of the draft on Thursday night, and obviously the big guys are going to impact our skill guys, either positively or negatively. So, Jared, what did you like about the first-round tackles? Yeah, I think the top four tackles especially, I mean, I think think they were all – high-end prospects who I think are all going to make an impact for their teams and, you know, their offenses and, you know, these fantasy guys this season. So we had the Giants spend the number four pick on Andrew Thomas of Georgia. I think the fact that they went Thomas was a bit of a surprise, but, you know, the fact that they went tackle, I think everyone sort of expected. Thomas was a 41-game starter at Georgia, played both right tackle and left tackle there. I think he's going to immediately start at right tackle for the Giants with uh, uh, Nate Soldier on the other side. So this Giants offense was one I was excited about to begin with. Um, I think, you know, they have a lot of pieces there. And, you know, the addition of Andrew Thomas, I think, is going to help. The Browns added Jedrick Wills 
with the 10th pick, we know how bad the offensive line was last season. So Cleveland's now added Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin. Uh, they added him from Tennessee in for agency. So those tackle spots should be a lot better than they were last year. That's obviously good news for, for Baker Mayfield, who I, I think is, is set up nicely for a bounce back season. We had the Jets spend the 11th pick on Mackay Becton. The Jets have made a ton of additions to the O-line now. They added multiple guys in free agency, now Becton. You know, I look at the Jets O-line, I still don't think it's good. But I think it's I think it's going to be better than last year. So you know that that's good news for Le'Veon Bell and, and Sam Darnold and the weapons there. And then we had the Bucks, who I think everyone sort of thought was going to uh, wind up with one of these tackles too, as they looked to protect Tom Brady. Bucks traded up one spot actually to make sure they got Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. He started three years there, so he should be ready to you know be a week one starter for them. I think, you know, you're going to have Wirfs playing right tackle with Donovan Smith on the left side. So that's good news for for Tom Brady. I like how you snuck in that you were excited about the Giants offense and then quickly moved on to another topic. I'm definitely excited about the Giants offense. I don't know. I, maybe I haven't mentioned that yet, but yeah, I think there's a ton of upside with that group. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give you that there's upside, but I, I'm a long way from being excited about the Giants offense. I mean, I think Daniel Jones, I think, was better than expected as a rookie. He flashed massive fantasy upside. He had multiple 30-point games. Um, we knew he could add some some rushing productions. I'm excited about him. I think, you know, Saquon Barkley is a prime bounce-back candidate. And then the wide receiver core is, you know, three deep. And then I think Evan Ingram, if he can stay healthy, remains a high upside guy. Certainly agree with the Ingram part. We'll leave further discussion of the Giants <laughs> offense for a later time. I mean, the one tackle that we haven't mentioned yet in round one was Isaiah Wilson to the Titans yeah. at 29. And he, of course, replaces Jack Conklin, who you mentioned signed with Cleveland in free agency. You like that just because the Titans need an offensive line because they're going to be Derrick Henry 40 times a game and, you know, whatever else beyond that. So replacing Conklin is something that they needed to do. It's good that they took care of that right away. Yeah. And, and Isaiah Wilson's a 350 pounder. He's like a, a power tackle so he, he definitely fits with what Tennessee wants to do on offense that's going to do it for this NFL draft round one recap edition of the podcast head over to draftsharks.com now for more reactions to all of the fantasy relevant picks on both offense and defense those of course will continue throughout the draft check out our bank of 39 dynasty prospect scouting reports to learn about all of these players that are about to shake up your fantasy league whether you play dynasty or redraft you can also find us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. <laughs>